Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. Good morning to you folks across the street at the video venue. I'm glad to welcome you and anybody who might be joining us online. We're so glad to have you be a part of our service this weekend. Wow, what a great weekend last weekend. What a crazy weekend with our annual Christmas service. And this place was packed, had over 7,000 people all together joining us for that weekend. I want to make sure and go on record to say great job to our worship and arts team, uh, Brian Tabor and Joey Santos. They got people working for them. They had tons and tons of volunteers. Everybody was a part of that. Thanks so much for all the good work and making that another tremendous uh, service here at Mount Pleasant. But uh, here we are. It's the last full weekend before the Christmas holiday, and I thought we would just kind of slow things down and Uh, do things a little bit different this morning in our time together from the Word. We're going to stand in just a moment for the public reading of Scripture, but we're going to do it a little bit different this morning. I'm going to ask you if it's possible for you, uh, and if you don't want to do this, that's fine, then you can just stand and listen as I read. But I'm going to, I want you to find both Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, if you can. Both Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read just a portion of each of these chapters uh, words that I know are familiar to all of us when it comes to the Christmas story. So if you got your Bible open there, or if you just want to listen, stand together with me wherever you are in reverence and respect for God's Word. We always make the public reading of Scripture part of our service. We want to do that. I'm going to begin by reading in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, these familiar words. <clears throat> in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name. Say that name with me. Jesus. And then if we flip over to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, say it with me, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated this morning. This past week, I posted a quote on my Twitter account from the great evangelist Billy Sunday, and the quote went like this. He said, there are 256 names in the Bible for Jesus because he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. Such a great quote and true in so many ways, except one way, and that is that number's not anywhere close to what the reality is. If you do the research, you find that there are at least 562 names for Jesus in the Bible. And without question, the one that is most familiar to us is that simple name, Jesus. This is the name we read some 500 times in the gospel, 
and a total of 909 times in the New Testament. That's the name that the angel told both Mary and Joseph to give to Mary's baby. We just read those accounts. In Matthew, the angel told Joseph, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In Luke, the angel Gabriel tells Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Without question, this is the most endearing name and the most loved name when we think of our Savior. So, again, on this final weekend before the Christmas holiday in 2015, let's just do things a little bit different and spend some time talking about the name of Jesus. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into the decision about what you're going to name a baby, and there should be. I, I can remember, even though it's been a long, long time ago, I can remember when both our kids were born that it was that way for Sandy and me. Uh, we, uh, we knew right away what we wanted to name a girl, but it took us a little while to decide what we wanted to name a son. There's a lot of work that goes into it, and I'm reminded of that with my son and daughter-in-law as they've had children together. It should be that way because giving someone a name is a really big deal. I recently, or not recently, but I read once about a study done in which a psychologist looked at the names of 15,000 juvenile delinquents, and he discovered that those with odd or embarrassing names were in trouble four times as much as kids who had more traditional and accepted names. Now, that should be good news to some of you because it's not been your fault all this time. It's just not been your fault. Some people are real sensitive about their names. I went to college with a guy whose name was Mike Thrash, T-H-R-A-S-H. That was his name, Mike Thrash. And he was a really good guy. I knew him well because we played basketball together. And after we got out of college, we went separate ways. I don't know where he went. I don't know what he did. But one day when I lived in Oklahoma, I came out of a restaurant, and there on the sidewalk in front of the restaurant was Mike Thrash. And I looked at him, and I said, Mike Thrash, just kind of like that. And he quickly came up and told me that that wasn't his name any longer, that he had legally changed his last name. He said, because all my life growing up, kids made fun of my name. They called me Mike Trash over and over again, and I just got... Now, even as an adult, seemingly old enough and mature enough to look beyond that, you would think, it bothered him so much that he went down and went through the process of legally changing his last name. I can't remember what it was, uh, but uh, he has a new last name. Names can be a really, really big deal to some people. And names are a really big deal in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, Have you ever noticed how sometimes you're reading in your Bible, and this is so much more true of the Old Testament than the New Testament, but sometimes you're reading in your Bible and someone's name is mentioned and the writer will give the meaning of the name and then sometimes use the name in a sentence that describes why the name was given. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25, and you read these words. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. And the name Seth means granted or appointed. A lot of people are familiar with at least some level of the story of Moses in the Old Testament. You know that when Moses was born, his parents hid him when he was an infant because they were trying to save him from the edict that Pharaoh had issued that all newborn Hebrew boys were to be executed. But when he got too old to be able to hide him any longer, they did something different. And really, if you think about it, it was a crazy thing. They got a basket, and they put him in the basket, and they set him afloat in the Nile River. That just seems really odd to me, but we got to believe that was a part of God's plan. But when he was in the Nile River, he was found by the daughter of Pharaoh. She took him home and raised him as her son, and she gave him the name Moses, which means 
drawn out. And so you see, you see this reality. You see this reality that names are a big deal. It means drawn out or pulled out. Another interesting thing related to names in the Bible is how many times children in the Bible lived up to the meaning of their names. You remember the story of uh, Rebecca giving birth to twins. She gave birth to, to twin sons, and the first one, when he came out of the womb, was Harry. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? He came out of the womb Harry, and the second one came out of the womb grasping the, grasping the heel of his brother, the older brother. And so she named the firstborn son Esau, which literally means Harry, and the second one Jacob, which means he grabs the heel. And if you know their story, then those names proved to be accurate for them because when Esau grew up, he was a bear of a man. He was a mountain man. He was an outdoorsman, a woodsman, and everything about that matched uh, his name. And when Jacob grew up, he grew up to be a grabber of sorts. He grew up to be a swindler and a conniver, if you remember their story. At a certain time, Jacob conspired with his mother to grab his brother Esau's birthright. Remember that? He swindled his brother out of all the privileges that were his by virtue of being the firstborn son. And so both of them lived up to their names. We could talk about examples like this for a long time, but the point is names are important. Names are important. And when the time came for God to send his son into the world, he didn't leave the naming of that son up to Mary and Joseph. He chose the name for his son, and he even sent angels to make sure that they got the name right. And the name, of course, is Jesus. So let's just spend a few minutes talking about why that's such a special name. Let me give you five reasons. I'll try to move through them really quickly. If you're taking notes, write down next to number one that it's special because it is a simple name. It's a simple name. That's one of the things I love about the name of Jesus. It's simple. It's not hard to pronounce. It's not hard to spell. It's a simple name. You really appreciate that when you read your Bible and you encounter some of the more complex names given to people in the Scriptures. Did you know there's a man in the Bible whose name is Tiglath Pelazar Adonibazek? Tiglath Pelazar Adonibazek. I'm glad. Aren't you glad that God didn't give a name like that to his son? Can you imagine the kind of havoc that name would wreak on the familiar hymns and worship songs that we sing every week? One of the things I've noticed is I've had opportunity to travel around the world and visit different countries and spend time with different missionary partners here from the church is that while most of the time I can't understand a single word that's being spoken when I'm in a different place where people speak a different language, I can almost always pick out the name of Jesus when they say it. I'll be somewhere and someone will be singing or someone will be praying or someone will be preaching and I can Almost always, I don't understand a single thing that they're saying, but I can almost always recognize the name of Jesus because it sounds so similar in various languages. I also love the fact that the name of Jesus is simple enough for a child to know it, even at a very early age, even when they're not even really able to speak in complete sentences, children can recognize, understand, and speak the name of Jesus. It's been a long, long time, but I remember this with my own children when they were very small. And one of the things I remember is how precious the name of Jesus sounded when it came from their lips when they were just babies in those sweet little voices. And it was easy to ask them questions, and they could always answer Jesus. Who was born in a manger? Jesus. Who heals the sick? Jesus. Who loves you so much that he came into the world to die on the cross? Jesus. They could speak those they could speak that name in answer to those questions. 
the other night we were at Andrew and Kara's house because it was Andrew's birthday. We were celebrating his birthday. Just our family was there. We were eating some cake, and Trisha was there with Jack, who's not quite two, and he was eating his cake, and she was just being silly with him and playing with him, and, and they were singing different songs, and she started to sing one of the songs that our kids' choir sang last weekend during the Christmas service. She started singing, Happy Birthday, Jesus. Remember that? I'm so glad it's Christmas. And as soon as she sang those words, Happy Birthday, Jesus, a big smile came on his face. It's like his face just lit up, and he started to shake his head up and down. And every time she came back to that refrain, he got that same smile, and he shook his head because he recognizes the simple name of Jesus. It's a simple name. Right down next to number two. It's a descriptive name. It's a descriptive name. The name Jesus literally means, write this down in your notes, it literally means Jehovah saves. And here's a little bit of Bible, tri- uh, uh, Bible trivia. It's the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament name Joshua, which also means Jehovah saves. Jesus and Joshua, Jehovah saves. According to the historian Josephus, there were 11 men in the Old Testament with the name Joshua, but no Old Testament parents ever called their son Joshua until one day when Moses changed that. If we were to open up our Bibles, don't do this, but if we were to open up our Bibles to Numbers chapter 13, what we would find there is a list of the 12 men that went into the promised land, the land of Canaan, to spy it out. Do you remember that story? Moses led the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity, led them to the edge of the promised land, but before they entered in, he sent in 12 spies to see what was waiting for them there. And Numbers 13 gives us a list of those 12 spies, one man from each of the 12 tribes. When you get to Numbers 13 and verse 16, it's kind of a conclusion to all of that. This is what it says. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. And then notice on the screen in parentheses, it said, Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua, which means Jehovah saves, just like the name Jesus. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, stay with me for a moment. You know, the Bible is a prophetic book. The Bible is a book filled with prophecies. You read that from cover to cover, basically. And in the Bible, we encounter two different kinds of prophecies. There's what's called verbal predictive prophecies, number one. And a verbal predictive prophecy is exactly what it sounds like. Someone says something is going to happen, and it happens. Someone predicts something in the future, and what they predict happens. That's what we're most familiar with. But The second kind of prophecy that's found in the Bible is what's called a typical prophecy. And a typical prophecy is very different from a verbal predictive prophecy. It's oftentimes hard to see. But a typical prophecy, you can see on the screen there, is is someone or some event becomes a foreshadowing or a picture of someone that's going to come later or something that's going to happen later. And those are all throughout the Bible. Uh, Some of them are really obvious, and we can see the meaning very clearly. You remember the Old Testament story of Jonah? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. How long did Jonah spend in the belly of that whale? Everyone say three days. How long was Jesus in the tomb before he was resurrected? Three days. And so Jonah in the Old Testament becomes a typical prophecy of Jesus and his death, his burial, and ultimately his resurrection. That's a good example. Well, a lot of Bible scholars believe that Joshua, remember his name means Jehovah saves, just like Jesus' name means Jehovah saves. A lot of Bible scholars believe that Joshua was a type 
of Jesus, that he was a typical prophecy of Jesus for some different reasons. We won't spend any real time on them. Joshua led the Israelites out of the wilderness into the promised land. The Bible teaches us that Jesus, as our Savior, leads us out of the wilderness of sin into a spiritual promised land. Joshua led his people to victory over their enemies. The enemies for the Israelites when it came to the promised land were men that they said were giants in the land. It was the the fortified and the walled city of Jericho. Those were their enemies. Jesus leads us to victory over the enemies of our soul. He helps us fight against temptation, against trials, and against testing that comes into our life. Joshua led his people to the inheritance God had promised, which was the promised land. Jesus leads us into the inheritance God promises us, which for us is eternal life. And so there's some similarities there. Joshua, Jehovah saves. Jesus, Jehovah saves. Remember, we're talking about the truth that the name of Jesus is a descriptive name. But here's the big difference between Joshua and Jesus. Everything Joshua offered God's people in the Old Testament was just temporary. Everything Jesus offers us today is final and permanent. How do you know? How many of you know that's true? That's a great, great truth that we hang on to. Everything that Joshua offered was good, but it wasn't complete. That's why Jesus is so much better. That's why his salvation is so much better. When Joshua led God's people to the edge of the promised land, Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 10 gives a description of what's about to happen for them. It says, but you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. And that's what happened. But the rest that Joshua led them into was very limited. It wasn't complete. It was a rest from their wandering in the wilderness. Remember, before they entered the promised land, finally, they had spent 40 years restlessly wandering in the wilderness. And so he, got, he gave them a rest from their wandering and, and uh, their restlessness in the wilderness, but it wasn't complete. They still had a lot of things that they had to deal with. In contrast to that, when Jesus gives us salvation and he gives us the rest of salvation, it's permanent, it's final, it's complete, it's eternal. The name of Jesus is a descriptive name because it means Jehovah saves, and the salvation that he gives is permanent, it's complete. Right down next to number three, this third truth about the name of Jesus, it is a powerful name. I love this truth. Let's talk about it for just a few uh, moments. Uh, When we recognize that the name of Jesus is a powerful name, we should then understand that we need to incorporate using the name of Jesus in our everyday lives. And there's lots of ways we can do that. Let me just mention two. First of all, we need to make sure that we're always praying in the name of Jesus. We need to be praying in the name of Jesus. And I I find that many people simply don't understand the meaning of that or the importance of that. It's so much more than a phrase that we use at the end of our prayers. It's so much more than just praying and then making sure that you say at the end, in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a pastor in Oklahoma, I got a letter from a guy in the church one day, and he was really upset because there was another guy in the church who sometimes would say the communion prayer. And when he would say the communion prayer, most of the time, he wouldn't finish his prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. He would just say, amen. And that was spiritually scandalous to this one guy in my church. And he didn't think that it was a prayer that counted because he didn't say, in Jesus' name, amen. He didn't understand the meaning of praying in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you 
a couple of different things about what praying in the name of Jesus means. First of all, it means when we come to the Father in prayer, in Jesus' name, we come to him because Jesus has sent us. Praying in Jesus' name means that Jesus has sent us to the Father. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, our message is a little bit different this weekend because we're just using some selected scriptures. But if you've got your Bible open still, I want you to go with me to the book of Hebrews and find the fourth chapter. Uh, let me hear pages turning to the New Testament book of Hebrews. And when you get there, I want you to find the fourth chapter. Uh, the whole theme of the book of Hebrews, if it were to be summed up in a single sentence, it would be Jesus is better than everything else. Jesus is better than everything else. And uh, in chapter 4, basically we're being told that the rest, and we just talked about this a moment ago, the rest that Jesus gives us is better than any other rest that's ever been offered. For example, when, again, when Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, they received rest from their enemies and rest from their wandering, but it was an incomplete rest. But when Jesus gives us salvation, he gives us rest from everything, and it's complete. Well, at the very end of the chapter, beginning in verse 14, and right above verse 14, I've got the words in my Bible, Jesus, the great high priest. Your Bible probably says something similar. Right, right at the very end, beginning in verse 14 to the end of the chapter, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, so Jesus is the high priest he's talking about here, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, everybody look up here at me for a moment. When the Hebrew writer says there in verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace, he's talking about praying. He's talking about what we do when we pray. And so when he says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, he's telling us that when we pray, we can approach the throne of God with boldness because Jesus, our perfect high priest, is there representing us, and he told us to do this. He told us to go to God, he told us to pray, and he told us to do it in his name. And we don't have time to look at it, but you can find that all throughout the Gospels. If you want to do a little study on your own, go back and read John 14, 15, and 16. In that section of Scripture where Jesus is talking to the disciples, he talks about the reality of what it means to, to speak in his name. Think of it like this. You know, we got a guy here on staff of our, at our church. His name's Mark Ulrey. Many of you probably know him. Uh, Mark Ulrey is a wonderful guy, and actually he, he has a deep love for Mount Pleasant Christian Church because he grew up in this church. He'd been in this church virtually his whole life. He can tell you stories about how when the first worship center, which is now our chapel, was built on this property, and he can remember his mom playing the piano there, and he has all these memories. Uh, Mary Smith was his Sunday school teacher. You know, he has all these great memories. He has a deep love for Mount Pleasant. Now he works for us, and, he, and that love is reflected in his job. Well, he's one of those guys that knows a little bit about everything, and he knows everybody. So whenever I have a problem at my house, some kind of a maintenance problem, the first 
first thing I do is I call Mark Ulrey. Not because I want him to come over and solve the problem, because I know he's going to tell me who to contact and what to say to them. And so recently, for example, I had a problem with a sump pump in my basement, and he was Johnny on the spot. So I can call somebody up and I say, hey, my name is Chris Philbeck, and I was given your name by Mark Ulrey. He told me to call you. And you know what happens? The door swings wide open. Now, I want you to listen to me. On the most practical level, that's really a part of what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Because that's how Jesus told us to pray. And when we go to the Father in that way and we pray in Jesus' name, then the door swings wide open because God knows exactly who we're talking about. Now, the second thing that it means to pray in the name of Jesus is this. It means when we go to God the Father in Jesus' name, God is going to treat us exactly the way he would treat his own son. He's going to treat us exactly the way that he would treat Jesus. Why do I say that? Well, again, we can't go into detail here because of time, but the Bible tells us that when you became a Christian, when you were saved, you became a part of God's family because you became a joint or a co-heir with Christ. That's, that's the way it's described in the Scripture. In fact, write down the reference, Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 in your notes. You became a joint or a co-heir with Christ, and so you became a part of God's family by virtue of that. That means on the most practical level, when God looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees his son, Christ. He sees Jesus when he looks at you because now you're covered with Christ. You're in Christ. That's why the New Testament uses those words so often, especially the Apostle Paul in his New Testament letters. For example, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How cool is that? Now let me ask you a question. Apart from Christ... When God looks at you, is there reason for condemnation? Absolutely there is. Apart from Christ, totally separate from Christ, when God looks at me, you know what he's going to see? He's going to see a lot of sin. He's going to see a lot of weakness. He's going to see a lot of failure. He's going to see a lot of mistakes. But when he looks at me in Christ, what's he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that a cool thing to know? That's a wonderful thing to know. And so, when you... When you pray in the name of Jesus, that's more than a phrase. That's a description of a life that you have in him, which means that God is going to see you and treat you the same way that he sees and treats his son. And you can have that assurance when you pray. When when, uh, Sandy and I, we've been married for... 33 years, right about the same time we got married, my parents got a divorce. They were living in Corpus Christi, Texas, and we were living in Houston, Texas. Well, my mother was going to move back to Houston with my younger brother and sister. And so for some reason, I don't remember the way all this worked out, but for some reason, my younger brother, you've met him before, he's about eight years younger than I am, who was in high school at the time, he moved back early, and he moved in and lived with Sandy and me when we first got married. I mean, right in the beginning, and it was, well, it was just horrible. That's what it was. (laughs) It was just horrible. Because, you know, my brother was, you know, he wasn't really living, he wasn't walking with the Lord the way that he should have been at the time. And he and my sister had gone through a lot by being in the home when all that broke loose with my mom and dad. And he acted out in a lot of different ways. And one, one of the things that happened is that he got several speeding tickets, which doesn't sound like a big deal. But he got so many that they decided they were going to 
the legal system has taken his driver's license away from him. Well, my mother gave me power of attorney over my brother while he was living with me. And so my brother had to go downtown Houston into a courthouse and he had to appear before a judge. But because he was a minor, he had to have a legal guardian with him. And who was that going to be? That was me because I had power of attorney over my brother. So there came a point that day when he was called to stand up and walk right and stand up right in front of the judge. And I had to stand right there with him. Now listen to me. That's a little what it's like when you pray in the name of Jesus. You're not there by yourself. That is not a phrase that we use. That is a life that we live covered by Christ. And so when God hears your prayers, he treats you. He sees you and treats you like he does his own son. So we need to pray in the name of Jesus because it's a powerful name. Real quickly, we also need to speak in the name of Jesus because it's such a powerful name. Now that might sound odd to you and me, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying we should just go crazy and go downtown and start running down the street saying, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. But there are times when it's appropriate. I, you remember that great miracle in Acts chapter 3, right after the day of Pentecost? Peter and John were on their way to the temple, and they encountered a beggar who was crippled, and he was asking for money. And in Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, Peter looked at him, and this is the way it's rendered in the NIV Bible. It says, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And that's exactly what happened. A supernatural miracle took place. The Bible says the guy got up, and he wasn't just walking. He was walking and leaping and praising God. Well, when we do something in the name of Jesus, that means we're acting consistently with who Jesus is, with his will. And Peter had seen Jesus heal on numerous occasions. And so now, acting on behalf of Jesus, he was going to heal this man, but he did it in the name of Jesus. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's great power when we speak the name of Jesus. But one of the ways that I think there's great power when we speak the name of Jesus is when we find ourselves doing battle with our enemy, the devil. Remember, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We're always involved in spiritual warfare in our lives. But we can use the name of Jesus when it comes to that spiritual warfare. I've told you before that I really believe there are two things that our enemy, the devil, hates to hear. Number one, he hates to hear the name of Jesus. And number two, he hates to hear the quoted word of God. He hates it. He hates both of those things. Let me ask you a question. Do you, is there anybody in your life that you, you don't like to be around and you consciously avoid them because you can't stand listening to them talk? Seriously. Seriously. I mean, you just can't stand listening to them talk. I got people like that in my life. I got preachers like that in my life. I can't stand listening to them talk. Hopefully none of you feel that way. But for all different reasons, maybe you don't like being around somebody because they, because they just use foul language all the time, and it's just offensive to you. I mean, how many, how many senses can somebody use with multiple uh, curse words? I mean, some, it's, I, that's, I grew up in a family like that. I mean, cussing was an art form in my family. Or maybe it's just somebody who's just negative or just whiny, complaining all the time. And you just get to the place where I'm, I don't even want to be around them. I don't want to listen to them talk. I think that's the way the devil feels when he's around believers who speak the name and the word of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus and quote the word of God. It makes him uncomfortable. I have a friend in Oklahoma 
who used to be a preacher. He's, he's retired now. But he lived in a town called McAllister, Oklahoma. You, you may or may never have heard of that. It, it, there's nothing famous about McAllister except there's a prison there. He had a great ministry there for a long time. Well, one evening his wife was shopping and somebody had broken out of the prison and in an effort to try to hide from the authorities and secure some kind of a getaway, he broke into her van and he was waiting in the van when she came. He didn't know if it was man or woman. He just, he could get in, this was the vehicle he could get into and he was wanting to get out of town. And she got in the van. You can imagine how 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 terrified she was in that situation and the prisoner he had a knife and he held it to her throat and he kept telling her we need to go I'm kidnapping you you're my way out and she refused to drive she has a scar on her face a noticeable scar on her face from that encounter but at one point and and my friend's name is Paul Crosby he told me this story at one point his wife whose name was Elaine she spoke these words she shouted them out she said I am a child of God and in the name of Jesus I command you to let me go and she can't explain how it happened today but he let her go and she's safe I'm telling you the name of Jesus is a powerful name Write down next to number four real quickly. It's an exalted name. Go with me in your Bibles if you're still in Hebrews chapter four. Go with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. It's going to be to your left. Um, and let's look at verses five through 11. This is one of those three passages I gave you back on the weekend after Thanksgiving. I said this year from December 1st all the way through December 25th, we should read these three passages every day. And they were John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I hope you've been doing that. But this is Paul's description of the incarnation, what really happened when God became a man in the person of Jesus. He says, beginning in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, pay close attention to verses 9 through 11. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, note this, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is the name that Jesus was given that is the name above every name? It's the name Lord. That's who he is. He has an exalted name. The name Lord is a title of majesty and authority and, a po and power and sovereignty. Revelation 19, 16 says that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He has an exalted name. He has sovereignty over every part of creation. And one day, Paul says in that passage, one day because of that exalted name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Who's he talking about that, about there? Well, he says, first of all, that there are those in heaven. That means that all the angels will bow and confess Jesus is Lord. And all the saints who have died in faith, who have gone before us, will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. He said, those on the earth. That includes everyone on the earth. That includes both the redeemed and the unredeemed. Or in other words, that includes everybody on earth who's saved and everyone who's unsaved. That includes everybody who embraced Jesus from their childhood. And it includes everyone who refused over and over again to submit to Jesus. They'll have no choice because of who he is but to bow on their knees and confess him as the Lord of all creation. And he says it's also those under the earth. 
That means one day all the demons, those that are bound and those that are free, and all the unredeemed dead, all those who died apart from God, apart from faith in Christ, who are there now waiting final punishment and final judgment, one day they'll have no choice but to bow before Jesus because his name is an exalted name. One last thing, and Brian can come and we'll close. And I think this last one is my favorite one. Even though it's not really grounded in the Scripture and the theology of the Scripture like some of the other things we've talked about, but I believe the name of Jesus is a comforting name. It's a comforting name. I don't think there's another name that ministers to our hearts or blesses our lives more than the name of Jesus. And I'm sure that you would agree with me in saying that we love the name of Jesus. We love to speak it. We love to sing it. We love to hear it because it is a comforting name. Let's just remind ourselves of that. We'll close our service in a kind of a different way today. Let's just remind ourselves of that. Just sing along with me. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that Thank you.